So in the book of Ephesians, the Christians to whom Paul is writing uh, are mostly Gentiles, meaning they were not Jewish before they became Christians, and they are living in a difficult culture in the city of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus at the time, one of the top five largest cities in the world. It was a mix of a number of things. It was a mix of sophisticated Greco-Roman philosophy, uh, pagan worship practices, and what was an emerging Roman emperor cult. So Ephesus, as we've said the first few weeks, was a mix of like Oxford and Amsterdam and Vegas all at the same time. You might call it Oxfordamagus or Vega Forsterdam. And yes, I'm going all the way with it. Or Amster Oxfordess. I figured if I spend seven to eight minutes coming up with those dorky ways to encapsulate Ephesus, we were definitely going to include all of them in this sermon, no matter how dorky uh, the moment turned out. So welcome to include all of Scott's first ideas Sunday. (laughs) This, This should be fun. So here are these Ephesian Christians whom Paul says at the beginning are called to be set apart and holy for God's purposes to the praise of his glory, Paul says. And they are in a very tiny minority, living in a very large and worldly city that was dominated all around them with pagan, ugly, idolatrous worship practices, which means that they were people in need of encouragement to stand firm. These were people who needed confidence to stay the course in the middle of their circumstances, as Paul told them to remember, they needed to know that God himself was the source of their calling to this new Christian life, and that he had planned all along for them to to stand firm and to, to stay the course in the middle of circumstances that seemed impossible to overcome. The Ephesians needed to know that God was there with them in the middle of it, aware of their struggle, speaking to their hearts with the comfort of knowing that in Jesus, they had been blessed with what he says is every spiritual blessing that they needed to be with God forever. (laughs) Uh, Friends, if you're breathing and at least slightly aware, I suspect that, uh, like me, you are currently in the middle of some circumstances that may seem overwhelming, that may feel insurmountable, that have no good answers. What we need to know, while we are in the middle of experiencing the heartache and the pain and the frustration of life in a broken world where we know there's supposed to be more, what we need to know is that God's got this and it's gonna be okay. Paul is reminding the Ephesians here and he's reminding us through these verses today that God's got this and it's gonna be okay. Despite how overwhelming it all seems, despite how much the bills cost, despite how serious the cancer, frustrating the boss, impossible the relationship, despite how insurmountable the problem feels, God's got this and it's gonna be okay. And here's how we know. As Paul says in these verses in 11 through 14, if we are united with Christ, if we have the Holy Spirit in us and we hear its voice, then we can be assured that we already have more than we will ever need in this life and the next. 
Jump in with me, Ephesians 1, starting at verse 11, where the Apostle Paul writes two words, in him, meaning in union with Christ. For Paul, these two little words, in Christ, or many variations of that, in Christ, in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in him, those kinds of things, those are all shorthand for a way of saying all of the stuff that we have in Jesus, all the spiritual blessings we have because of being joined with Christ. So Paul starts here with this union with Christ emphasis, which means that Paul's obviously speaking to believers here. He says, in him, next phrase, we have obtained an inheritance. Notice that this is in the past tense. We have obtained, we've received, we've been given, we've been offered an inheritance. Some versions say we've been chosen or something like that. That's the root behind, uh, the root idea behind this phrase about obtaining an inheritance. The gist of the idea here is that apart from uh, personal worthiness uh, or merit, that God has claimed a people for himself as his own possession, which is the way the Old Testament likes to say it over and over again. God has given his people a share, think about this, a share in the heritage of his goodness that they didn't earn, but that they inherited. Colossians 1.12 says, God has qualified you. He's qualified believers, having delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This idea of inheriting God's goodness that we don't deserve is much of what's behind the word blessing in the Old Testament. So when Paul, throughout this whole passage, Speaking of spiritual blessings, he's naming the things that God the Father planned before the foundation of the world, that, that God the Son, that Jesus came and bought for us because of his perfect sinless life, which was a sacrifice, and is made real for us in our hearts because of the Holy Spirit. He's saying those kinds of blessings that were promised of old have come to fruition in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So this idea of blessing in the Old Testament is all over the place, inheriting God's goodness that we don't deserve. Make sure you look up a few places in Deuteronomy this week. There are lots of places. Just want to name three here for you to look at. We'll put these on screen. Deuteronomy 4.20, 7.6-9, through 9, and 32.8-9. through 9. 4.20, 7.6-9, and 32.8-9. Those are just a, a few of many such places in the Old Testament, where you'll find this idea of inheriting God's undeserved blessing. So what Paul's saying here is that because we are united with Christ, we've been grafted in, we've been looped in, looped into God's blessings by inheritance. We'll revisit this inheritance idea a little later. So it says, in union with Christ, in Christ, we have received, we've obtained an inheritance, next three words, having been predestined. Now, real quick, very long and involved uh, story short, two basic views on how to interpret this word within the larger scope of Scripture. 
Some Christians think that predestined is better understood as part of a general call to salvation to a group of people where they respond from their faith. Some Christians think that predestined is better understood as a specific choosing unto salvation in the mind of God before time where he gives faith to his people. Now, as I said a couple weeks ago, I'm in this second camp, which believe me, I realize, puts me at direct odds <laughs> with those of you who grew up in the independent Christian churches and churches of Christ, like I did. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't sweat it. We talked about this word predestination in, uh, in a sermon a couple weeks ago at some length, so if you want to go ahead and watch that uh, mess of a sermon, you can do that. But today we're going to agree on this word planned here uh, for predestination. The gist of it is that, is that God has had a plan for his people all along. So you have been planned in the mind and the heart of God to come to know him through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit all along. So what Paul's saying is here, he's wrapping up all this idea at the end of 3 through 14, through which he's talking about all these spiritual blessings, blessing after blessing after blessing, every spiritual blessing we need. He's saying, in Christ, we've been given, we've been offered undeserved spiritual blessings from God, and he planned for you to have those all along. And here's how he planned it. Keep reading. He planned it according to the purpose of him who works, all things according to the counsel of his will, according to God's wisdom, and according to his purposes. Uh, Paul uses some variation of this phrase with according to uh, six times, according to his wisdom, his purpose, his plan. Some six times in verses 3 through 14 here. And so, at this point, the text kind of takes a twist. The text takes a twist, as does my tongue. So, things take a bit of a turn here in the text. Notice how Paul describes God's plan, his purpose, being worked out in history to bring you to God. Keep reading. This was according to, according to the purpose that he worked that he worked out so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, Paul's focusing on the Jewish Christians here at this point, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So that those who received Christ as Lord first, meaning the Jewish Christians like Paul, that they might live for God's purpose and glory. And while this direction may feel a little like, why is Paul talking about God's plan to the Jewish Christians as if it's God's plan to me, a Gentile. Well, it's because God's plan to the Jewish Christians was also God's plan to you, a Gentile. In Romans 1.16, Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He says to the Jew first and also to the Greek, the non-Jewish Gentile. So what Paul is saying here in this transition from verses 12 to 13, is that the plan didn't just stop with Jesus coming to the Jews only, but it continued beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. And here's the key. It continued with the coming of the Holy Spirit who assures us of 
having inherited these blessings that came through Jesus. It continued, his plan continued with the coming of the Holy Spirit who assures us of having inherited these blessings that came through Jesus. Keep reading, verse 13. He says, in him you also, meaning in Christ, you Ephesian Gentiles were also included in this inheritance. When you heard the word of truth, when you heard God speaking, which he clarifies further as the gospel of your salvation, meaning when you heard the word of truth as the good news of God's rescue operation to deliver you from spiritual death, and when you believed in him, when you believed in Christ's work to redeem you, that's when, look at this, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Said simply, when you heard God speaking to you, and you trusted in Christ's work to save you, that was because you had received the Holy Spirit. It was nothing less amazing than God, infinite, holy, perfect creator God of the universe, the reality about whom we don't have words to use to describe accurately, came into time and your flesh to make you new. It was God's spirit in you that awakened belief in you. It was God's spirit in you that made you alive, that spoke to you, and that you heard as God, the shepherd of your souls, speaking good news to you. And notice that in all of that, when you receive God's spirit in you, look at what it says. Notice that that marks you as God's possession. The presence of the spirit of God in you marks you as God's Possession, his property, his child, his own. In ancient Ephesus in Paul's day, um, a seal was an official mark that designated something as completed or genuine, or as the emphasis seems to be here, as belonging to someone. Most often, uh, the seal was just a little glob of wax that was heated up just a little bit so that when the king, who was the only one that had the signet ring, the only one with that kind of design on it, the king would press the ring into the wax so that when the wax dried, it marked whatever that thing was as official, as authentic, as having come from him. So Paul's saying here, if you've heard the word of truth about Jesus as good news of your salvation from sin that once condemned you before a holy, just, and righteous God, if you've heard that word of truth as the good news that saved you, then you are stamped as God's own possession. And what this means, friends, is confidence and comfort and assurance despite the circumstances and the hardships of this life. Look at this. The Holy Spirit, keep reading, verse 14. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee 
it's a, it's a down payment, it's a deposit, it's a, it's a pledge or a promise of more that's coming, right? The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. It's the down payment when, when you hear God speaking to you. If you want to repent, when you are convicted of your sin, take that as a really good sign of the Holy Spirit in you, promising there's more to come. When you hear Jesus offered as good news because your sin condemned you before God, when you hear that in you, say, down payment. Guarantee. There's more to come. This isn't it. The Holy Spirit's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, until that day when our faith becomes sight. And why did God do all this? Same reason Paul gave before at the end of verse 12 when he was talking about, in that case, uh, going to the Jews first. He said, so that we might be to the praise of his glory. Think about this. God did all of this (laughs) giving to us an inheritance we do not deserve so that our lives would be transformed into vessels through whom he receives the praise and glory he does deserve. You become a living, redemptive example of who God is and what he has done in Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It changes you. It makes you new. It makes you want to be for the praise of his glory. Because you know full well from your own experience of the brokenness of this world and your own sin, you don't deserve that praise and glory. God does because he's made you new. Friends, this has been God's plan for for those who call him Savior and Lord all along. This This has been his plan all along. And because of God's plan, friends, and by the blood of the Son that redeems, and through the Holy Spirit that makes our hearts new and that confirms us as his possession, the reality from God's perspective is that he has already given us every spiritual blessing we need for living to the praise of his glory. Now, I recognize it certainly doesn't always feel like we've got everything we could ever need. I don't know about you all, but I just, I perseverate in my head. That's a word the psychologists use to talk about people who are like just up to the line of crazy, right? (laughs) I perseverate (laughs) on what I lack and what I still need in the here and now today. I realize it doesn't always feel like we've got everything we could ever need, not just to make it from day to day, but think about this, to the high and holy calling of being vessels who are to the praise of God's glorious grace. Like that's a high calling, a high and holy calling that may seem impossible. It may feel 
far off. It may sound to you like pie in the sky talk uh, as a way to think about your Christian life as I already have every spiritual blessing in Christ. It may feel like you want me, (laughs) preacher, to live to the praise of God's glory when I can't pay my rent, I can't have a meaningful five minute conversation with my spouse, I can't even get my kids to church with matching, matching socks, right? Like, I get that life can feel overwhelming. <laughs> Believe me, I'm a pastor. For me today, right now, quite frankly, I am totally overwhelmed with at least three times more responsibility than I could ever possibly handle if I discovered a way to never sleep and be 100% efficient. And believe me, I've been trying to look for that solution for years. For me on the home front, I would encapsulate a whole bunch of things that are overwhelming in my life right now, and I'm not going to give you any detail, but I would encapsulate them by saying my wife and I have very full-time jobs. We have an 18-year-old who is rudely leaving us to to go off to a very expensive college that my wife and I are still paying for when we went there. We have a 15-year-old who is suddenly a base. He's suddenly acting suspiciously like a man. We have a 7-year-old who, uh, let's just say we're in it for the long haul. And some of you all have twice as many of those as we do. Uh, Here at church, let me encapsulate a lot about which I'm not going to give you any detail by saying, though, that that we've been working really hard for years, literally many years, to radically orient everything we do around a strategy of making disciples who, who live the seven habits so that we can produce an army of kingdom warriors who are ready to be sent as missionaries to launch campuses all across Greene County. So no big deal. That's easy, right? (laughs) I wake up and I think, I have no idea how I'm going to get 10% of the things that I know should and need to get done today. To be honest, multiple times a day, I am so personally overwhelmed with countless needs all around me that all I see is gaps and messes and problems and lack that are, at least to me personally, they're a constant temptation to quit life. I cannot tell you how often I visualize myself huddled under my desk eating Oreos and whimpering to myself. (laughs) And while that may be a mildly funny visual, (laughs) uh, it expresses a serious sentiment for me. I do not know how any of those gaps in my life are going to be filled. But here's how I know (laughs) that God's got all this and it's all going to be okay. Because when I recognize the voice of the Spirit of God speaking to me in my heart as the great shepherd of my soul, who has my greatest problem of my rebellion against him already solved. 
I praise God for the assurance that I have everything I need in Jesus to take care of what is truly my greatest need, a Savior from my sin. Friends, when God's got your sin covered, and you know it because you believe in Jesus and the Spirit confirms it in your heart. The rest in comparison. It's all small stuff. <laughs> Even as it feels like it's not. A uh, friend, through the voice of the Holy Spirit today, God is here, ready, waiting, and available to take care of your greatest need. So if you hear his voice today and you know you need Christ as your all-sufficient Savior, come and take hold of the inheritance that you have in him. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that uh, without every spiritual blessing we need accomplished for us in the person of your son Jesus whom you've purposed from before the foundations of the world to be all sufficient in our behalf and without the confirmation of your spirit speaking to us and changing our hearts and softening us to say yes to what you have for us in that inheritance we would be lost and dead without hope. So we thank you for that amazing truth, Lord. Help us to rest in that truth. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.